And I don't know if you guys have heard of the Rocky Mountain Rescue Group. How many have heard of that group? A couple of you, huh? I guess we know who the skiers are and who the ones that are may need them one day. The Rocky, actually it's one of the oldest search and rescue teams in the whole United States. And it's here in, in Colorado. Interesting that um, most of the time when they find people, they don't, they find them too late. They don't find them alive. Um, but sometimes they do. And uh, I, I was reading that in 2017, this student from the University of Colorado and a, a female friend, they went and they went um, to go uh, cliff diving. You know, they do that stuff or that repelling, whatever it is that um, that people do. I don't know why anybody would ever want to do that. Whoever gets excited about hanging off of a rock, you know, something's wrong. But I guess uh, people enjoy that. And so they did. And instead of putting on both safety clips, he only put on one. He thought he was pretty safe. And as they're coming down uh, the, the uh, El, El Dorado Canyon there and he's coming down, he slips, he falls 40 feet hits his head against a rock, his helmet splits, his head splits, and he's hanging upside down unconscious. Lifeless, seemed like. And who do you call the Rocky Mountain Rescue Group to come and help him? And as they come and they see this lifeless body just sitting there just limb not even moving, blood everywhere, the gruesome scene. They go and they lower him down and and they, they, they don't move him because he may be paralyzed. They don't know what's going on. They don't even know if he's alive. And they come in and the lady's taught to say these words. Can you imagine saying these words to somebody that's sitting there in this condition? Hang in there. I know it's tough, but it ain't over yet. Hang in there. I know it's tough, but it ain't over yet. And what they did is they, they got an ambulance. They put him into it. Um, they obviously lowered him down. They got him to a place, and he survived. He survived. An amazing thing. Here we were, hanging off a cliff, dead, disobedient, and doomed. And God from heaven says, hang in there. I know it's tough, but it ain't over yet. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to send someone in your life. I'm going to let you hear the gospel. And you're going to believe the gospel. And you're going to be saved. You see, this is a wonderful passage as we study it out. But God, I love those words there because notice we were dead. We were cut off from spiritual life, but God. Here we are hanging there, but God. We were disobedient, as you saw in the scriptures, following what? The very, the very lust, the very course of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air and, and the lust of our flesh, but God. But God intervened. We were also doomed, deserving of hell because of our sin. But God, he intervenes. 
And so as we think about this and study this passage out, we're going to see how God intervenes and comes into our lives while we're hanging there lifeless. We have nothing. And then God comes and he intervenes. And what does that mean to me today? But God. People say, well, but God. Isn't that exciting? But God. But what does that mean to us today? How does that affect me today? Notice he tells us right here in, in the verse why God does this. But God being rich in what? Mercy. Now, now don't miss that because mercy, really what it is, is this active pity that God has. This compassion that moves God to act. Some people say, well, God has compassion. He does. But he has compassion to act. He doesn't just watch us. There. He has compassion to move. He does something about it. I was thinking about how when my father was on his deathbed, I I had to call my uncles up. Can you imagine doing that? These Italian guys, and they all have big noses. And and I and I, and I called them. I called up my uncle, and I said said to my uncle, "You know what? My father, your brother's on his deathbed. Um, I just want you to know. Why don't you come and visit him?" My uncle said, "No, I'm not going to go visit him." See, their relationship was broke. I said, "Okay, just so you know, I'm I'm letting you know that this may be the last time that you can come see him." <clears throat> And so I hang up the phone. An hour later, who shows up? Not one uncle, two uncles. They walk into the room. I'll never forget the scene. Here's my dad on his deathbed. Here's his two brothers walking in. Strained relationship that they had. My dad just started to cry. Tears coming down his eyes. His brothers were moved with mercy to go see him. They didn't want to see him. He didn't deserve to be seen for the things that he did against his brothers. But yet they were moved to mercy to go see him. That's our God. Amen. Our God is rich in mercy. It means he has a lot of it. He has a lot of mercy. He's abundant in mercy. And he's, he's active in our lives. And he's moved with pity. He doesn't just leave us there dead and disobedient and doomed. He's moved with pity to come into our lives. And notice this other thing. It says here, because of his great love, which he loved us. Now, now, now you know that there are different words that the Greeks use for love. There's that word storge. The natural love. How many Italians are here today? Any, anybody else? Uh, just a few. Amber, that's why we love you. Italian, you know, Italians. When I'm around Italians, there is just a natural love. That's amore. Amen? Now, what amen? Huh? Because you guys aren't Italians. You won't know how it is. But Italians. We need to start witnessing the more Italians. This church is really going downhill. We only got a few here. Well, we got to get the Italians. When the Italians, that's natural love. That's not, that's not sacrifice. That doesn't, that's just natural love. That's storge. Do you know how many times storge is used in the Bible? Take a guess how many times storge is used in the Bible. Take a guess. Zippo. It's not used. Doesn't say that this was natural love in which he loved us. Notice this here. Eros, another word, is erotic love. That we get uh, different different words. And how many times is this used in the New Testament? Anybody take a guess? The word eros. Zippo. It's used in the Old Testament, though. Read Song of Solomon. I'll mess you up. But eros is in there. All right? Now, one amen. Let's go on. <laughs> Phileo. Or philia. Or Philadelphia. Amen. All right? We like that word. That's what? Brotherly love. 
That's a love that we have for a brother. It's a like. You like the person. You don't just love them, you like them. That's used several times in the New Testament. That's not the word here. Here's the word, agape or agape. It is sacrificial love. Somebody, somebody put it this way. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your picture would be in his wallet. He loves you. He loves you. When you put somebody's picture on your refrigerator, you love that person. You pray for them. You care about that person. He loves you. Max Lucado said that. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in his wallet. God loves you. And it says that not only did he love us, but his great love for which he loved us. So while we were dead, while we were disobedient, while we were doomed, because of his great mercy, because of his great love, three things happened to us in the text that we see. That little word with helps us to understand this passage because it's wonderful. It literally means to be synchronized. We are synced with God. People sync their phones to different things and we sync our iPads and all. We are synced with Christ. This is interesting. We are synced together with Christ and three things happen to us. The moment that we get saved, watch this in the passage here. But God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. I've heard it and you've heard it too. People say it all the time. God should not love me. Look at the things I've done. Look at who I am. And the answer is he shouldn't if he was only holy and just, but God is also a loving God and he does love you. And when did he love you? Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we were cut off. He proved his love for us. He sent his son while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Even when this was happening, what happened? The three wonderful things we're going to see right here. Even when we were dead, look what, look what God did. First thing he did. He made us alive. You are a new person. You know what this is called? This is called regeneration. Watch this here. Regeneration. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new what? Creation. Here's where people miss it. We divide everybody into two categories. We divide them into the religious category and the ir sorry I put make you guys the irreligious category. All right, so we have the religious people over here and we have the irreligious people over here. And so we have two categories. So here's what we say. Oh, the irreligious need to get saved. They need Jesus. They need they need to get right with God. They're irreligious. They we need to get them right with God. And so we we pray for them and then the religious people are like, "Oh, yeah, pray for them." Then now they're on our side. So we break them up into two groups. When the Bible says neither one of those are saved, it's not about a religion. Amen. It's about a relationship. Amen. Christ didn't die to make us nicer people. Christ died to make us new people. We are a new creation. It is imparting life into us. Spiritual life into us. I, that's why I love Galatians 6.15 because it says, Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision anything. What is he saying by that? He's saying, you can do all the religious acts you want in the world. That won't change your heart. The only thing that will change your heart is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. 
coming to him. How many religious people have we seen out there that they're religious? Every day they go to church, they do these religious rituals, they do all these things, but they still don't have a relationship with Christ. He says, it's not about that stuff, but what it is about is a new creation. I love that. So what happens is when somebody comes to Christ, they come to Christ, they're made alive. They have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have spiritual life. They are new in Christ. I was listening to a testimony from Charles Fuller. He went to a church. He heard a sermon on Ephesians 1.18, which is an interesting passage where he talks about the prayer there that Paul has for the prayer. And he says this, I've never heard a sermon like that in my life. He said, I heard this sermon and all of a sudden it just hit me and a complete change in my life. I accepted Jesus Christ and my whole life changed. Now I'm new in Christ. That's what he wants to do. He says, even when we were dead, here's what happened. Somebody came into our lives, brought the good news to us. We heard the message. We believed in Jesus Christ. And now we've been regenerated. We have a new person, a new life. If that isn't exciting, look at the next thing. He made us alive. Notice that he raised us up. Now we have new priorities. You say, where is that? Look, look at Ephesians 2.6. It says, and raised us up with him. Some people say, but I'm here. I'm not up in heaven right now. That's true. But positionally, we are with Christ. We're raised up with him. And what does that mean to be raised up with him? Well, when we study Colossians that the youth are doing, I think they're going to get to this passage here coming up soon. Is it next week or two weeks? You're right over. I know he's close to here, but, but look at this. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, here's what you ought to do. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. So what is he saying here? He's saying this, when you come to Christ, when you are synchronized with Christ, when you're synced in with Christ, now you have a new person, you have a new life, and here's what you have, a new perspective on life. You are now, have new priorities in life. Your life is now not about yourself. Your life is about Christ and his work and his kingdom and his priorities and his plans. And now we live to please him. That's a different life. He's saying, be preoccupied with Christ. How do we think about the things above? Here's how we think about his purposes. We think about his plans. We think about his provisions. We think about his power. Here's what we think about. How can I please Christ today? Is that your heart? How can I please Christ today? I remember talking to one of my relatives and they were having a problem with their, with her father. And she said, I don't know what to do. And I said, the question you need to ask yourself is how can you please Christ through this? That's our heart. He's saying you have been raised up. Not only have you been forgiven from your sins, but you have a power and you have priorities that are different. Now you're going to be seeking things above. Or as one person put it this way, see people through his eyes. See problems through his eyes. Live for Christ. We've been raised up with him. And if that isn't amazing enough, that we now have new life with him, a new person and new priorities. Look at this in, in the next verse here. He seated us 
with him. You are in a new position and raised up with him and seated us with him where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does this mean for me today? Here's what it means. It means that we have a position of superiority and authority over the evil powers. Here's what it means. I no longer have to live according to the course of this world. I no longer have to live according to the prince of the power of the air. I no longer have to live indulging in the lust of the flesh. Now I am seated in the heavenly places with Christ. We have power to obey him. You say, what happens when someone gets saved? They become a new person. They have new priorities. And here's what happens. We have a new position. We no longer have to live according to those three tyrants that we have in our lives. I was thinking of Wes actually with his new position. And it is with the great thing about having a new position. You don't have to worry about the old guys that you were working with. Now you got to worry about the new guys you got to go with. Right? And guess what? The problems he had here, he's going to have over there. But anyway, you know, because I mean? people are people everywhere you go. But, he, but we don't have to, he doesn't worry. He has a new position. We have a new position. Now we're in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. So what has happened when we become synchronized with Christ? Let's put this together. Synced with Christ means you are a new person with new priorities and a new position. We are different now. And yet so many people say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but yet they are the same. They missed it. That's not biblical salvation. Jesus Christ came to not only save us, but to change us. And he will if we allow him to. And so here we are, dead. Here we are, disobedient. Here we are, doomed. Here we are, hanging. No, no one. And all of a sudden, God brings someone into our life that preaches the gospel to us. We believe in Christ. And what happens to us? Now we're made alive. We got a, a new person. Now, now we have new priorities. We're living for Him like never before. And now we have a new position. We don't have to live for those old tyrants anymore. Now we can live for Christ. We have the power over that. You say, why in the world did God do all that? Here it is. So you can look pretty in church. Amen. So you can carry your Bible around, tell everybody you're a believer. Here's why. This is going to blow your mind. Look at verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. This is an incredible verse. The surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. How many of you watched The Chronicle of Narnia, the, the movies? You guys like that movie, right? Wouldn't it be fun to go into a wardrobe and come out and everything's all different and everything's all like, like wow and amazement of all that goes on once you come out of that wardrobe. You go into the wardrobe and come out of the other side and all of a sudden, whoo, the whole world is different. Wouldn't that be great? Guess what? When we're in heaven, that's going to happen. When we die... And step across, and all of a sudden, we're in we're breathing celestial air, and we're face to face with God, and in amazement that we don't get scolded for our sins because they've all been forgiven, and in amazement that He doesn't say to us, "Oh, guess what? You can enjoy here, but just remember, you don't deserve it." None of that. 
in amazement that he is kind and he is loving towards us. For how long? For all eternity. Here's what it says in this verse. Don't miss this verse. That in the ages to come, not right now, but in the ages to come, guess what he's going to do? He's going to show how wonderful his grace is and how wonderful his kindness is for all eternity towards us. I can't even fathom that. Somebody says, you know, the three shocks of getting to heaven. When are you going to be in three shocks when you get there? I love this one. This is Swindoll uses this one. When we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised three times. One is we're going to be surprised that all the people we thought were going to be there and aren't. Then we're going to be surprised that the people who we thought were going to be there and they are. And then we're going to be surprised that we're there. All the stuff in our lives. And we still made it. And yet it says here in this verse, what is God going to do for all eternity? Show how wonderful his grace is and his kindness is towards us in heaven. Last week was Grandpa Tom's birthday. And it made me think, what is Grandpa Tom doing right now? You ever think about that? What is he doing right now? I'll tell you what he's doing right now. He's enjoying the grace and kindness of our Lord face to face with him. Wow. I mean, that's amazing to think about. It says in the ages to come, he's going to show the surpassing riches of his grace, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So here we were dead. Here we were disobedient. Here we were doomed, headed to hell. But he brought someone into our lives by his grace, preached the gospel to us. We heard it. We believed in Christ. And now, forever and ever, we're gonna, in heaven, we're going to see the wonders of his grace and his kindness towards us. That's the wonderful plan of God. You say, I, I want part of that plan. How do, I, how do I get that? Thanks for asking. Verses 8 and 9 tell you. This is wonderful. Salvation is by what? Say it. Grace. Do we know what that means? Salvation is by grace. Do we really understand what that means? He's going to tell us like a good preacher what it is and what it isn't. It, it isn't is. I don't know how you say that, but what it isn't. There we go. What it ain't, ain't. Here we go. Here we go. Salvation by grace. Here's what it is. Here's what it ain't. For by grace you have been saved. Guess what? Through what? Faith. Faith. It ain't just sitting there and saying, all right, God say, I'm done. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. We believe through faith, trusting, reliance in Jesus Christ. It is by grace, but faith is how we get the instrument there, the reliance on Christ. How does that happen? That ain't of ourselves. I tell you this. <laughs> you look at ourselves. We're in big trouble. We're hanging there on a rope. We're in trouble. There's nothing inside of us. And this is where we have to be careful because <laughs> if it was of ourselves, you know, people get so arrogant of, of unbelievers. And they say, look at that person. Why don't you get his act together? And I look at him, how did you get your act together, God? And yet you have some Christians too that look at other Christians and they're so arrogant. They think to themselves, oh, why don't they get their act together? And yet it's not your, God did this work in your life. It's all of grace. 
Look what else it is. It is the gift of what? I tell people the most important four-letter word in salvation. Four-letter word in salvation. Gift. What do you do with a gift? You accept it. You receive it. You don't work for it. Johnny just had a birthday. He turned 16 this last week. Six, can you wait 16 years old? I know he's my little baby. But 16 years old. He got gifts. He didn't work for them. Believe me, he didn't earn them. All right? 16 years of trouble. No, I'm kidding around. 16 years. He got them. What did he do with the gifts? Ah, just take them back. He received them. He accepted them. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. You say, wait a minute, look what else it ain't. Not as a result of works. Now, now, now don't miss this because this goes against everything that we think about. Because we say to ourselves, I got to do my part in this. I got to somehow earn this. I got I to gotta do something good to get this. No, it's not a result of what? Works. In fact, there's only one work. And it was Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And when he was on the cross, he said this. It is what? Finished. The work is over. How dare us add works to salvation? Even a little bit of work is an insult to God. He paid it all. It's not a result of works. No good works. No religious things. No, no going to church. No matter how many times you read the Bible. No matter how many times we witness. No matter how many times we try to turn over a new leaf. None of that will get us saved. Ever. It's not of works. You know why? Because when we get to heaven... We're not going to be able to boast. We were hanging on that line. We were dead, disobedient, and headed to hell. And God brought someone into our lives by His grace. We believed in Jesus Christ by His grace. And we got saved by His grace. What can we boast about? I, I read a story, I couldn't believe this, that there was an instant cake mix. It said, just add water and you'll have your cake. That's the kind of cake I like. Just add water and you have your cake. You know what? It wouldn't sell. Nobody bought it. People said, there has to be more. We can't, we can't just add water. We have to add something. So the same company, guess what they do? They're pretty smart. They said, okay, just add water and also add some eggs. Now the thing starts selling like crazy. Because people can do their part. And people see salvation like that. They're like, wait a minute, you tell me that all I have to do is a gift? Receive it? No, come on. i got to add something to it. No, you don't. You just accept it. Amen. He paid it all. Amen. He died for all your sins, was buried and rose again. You accept it. And you will be saved. I was, I was teaching this years ago at a communion time fumbling through my words. And um, i never forget, I got a call the next day from a guy who was working on Fort Carson. And he said to me, Jeremy, I just want you to know, I tell my students this, you're going to hear this a thousand times, one day it's going to click. He says, I heard what you said a thousand times, not by works, not by works, not by works. I heard it a thousand times, but guess what? Yesterday while you were talking, it clicked. And I accepted Christ and I got saved. 
figured it out. He figured it out. But how many people hear this over and over again and say, yeah, but I got to do something. Yeah, receive. Accept Christ. They hear it over and over again. They say, I'm not going to buy that cake mix. I mean, look what he's saying there. He's saying that salvation is a free gift. I need to add something to it. God says, just receive it. I've paid it all. You see, we were in big trouble. We were lifeless. We were disobedient going down the path. We were doomed. But God did not leave us there. He sent someone into our lives to preach the gospel when we believed we were saved. And he doesn't just save us. He gives us new life. And then he gives us a new perspective and new priorities in life. We've been raised up with Christ. Now we seek the things that are above. And not only that, we have a new position now. We're seated with him in the heavenlies. We're secure with him. We don't have to live that life that we lived before. We don't have to bow down to the world. We don't have to bow down to the devil. We don't have to bow down to the flesh. We can live for God. And why did he do this? Not for us to walk around and say, wow, look how good of a Christian I am. To show all eternity how wonderful he is. And how gracious he is and how kind he is. And you say, I just want to, how do I get that? By grace and put your trust in that. And remember, this is not of yourselves. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift. You receive it. And it's not by works. We dare not put anything, add anything to it. Because the moment we do, we miss it. So then when we stand before him, we say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. I was hanging on that cliff. And you sent that person into my life. And I believed in Christ and my life changed. Thank you, Lord. I can't boast you know, the last person I wanted to see when I went to college was a Christian. I hated God. And I'm standing in line, and here's this guy stomping to a song, Mary, Did You Know? Who listens to Mary, Did You Know? <laughs> Not many amens here. I thought he was nuts. He said, you want to listen? No, I don't want to listen to that. That's crazy stuff. And then I find out that this is the same guy that used to have beer cans hanging off like this when he would go to parties. And God sent someone into his life and he got saved. And his mission in life was to tell everyone about Jesus Christ. And this guy that was sitting there stomping, and, and I, I, I trusted him because he was a short guy. He's sitting there and he's, he's listening to Mary, did you know, is the same guy that God used so that I got saved. I was hanging off a cliff. I was going the wrong way. I was headed to hell. But God. But God. And remember, it's not to make me look good today. It's to show all his good grace and kindness for all eternity when we're standing before him face to face. That's grace. That's our God. But don't you want to share that with others? And let them experience the same? Let's pray. Father, as we look into this wonderful passage, wow. We think about that time when we are going to stand before you, have nothing to boast about except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Oh Lord, what a what a day that will be. We were headed down the wrong path. We were dead, disobedient, and doomed. But you intervened. What a great God. Why? Because of your great mercy. You're rich in mercy and great in love. So we praise you for that. So help us to live for you, Lord. Help us to realize how much we're loved by you. Help us, Lord, to live like it says in the text with new people, with new priorities and a new position in Christ. So we thank you for that. And then, Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that's trying to add any work to their salvation, that they would understand through your word that it's not by works. It's not a result of works. It's a gift. It needs to be received, accepted, believed, so that when we stand before you, no one could ever boast. All we could say to you is thank you, Lord, for the salvation we have, so rich, so free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand with us as we close out the service. This song is called My Work Is Not In What I Am. Mm-hmm.